This is Ecosystem North, Episode 9, Christine Beach, Director of the Kabara Institute for Entrepreneurial Studies, St. Mary's University. Ecosystem North is supported by Collider Sustaining Sponsors and Collider Champions like you. Find out more about how you can support Collider's mission by going to www.collider.mn donate. Welcome to Ecosystem North. I'm Jamie Sunsbach. Each week, Ecosystem North shines a spotlight on the people and organizations that support our region's entrepreneurs in covering the real story of what inspires and drives them to be entrepreneurial champions. So our next guest is pretty much, I think, done it all, really. She's been a founder uh, of uh, a business, a teacher, served in the military, and I'm really proud to say selfishly that she's an invaluable member of Collider by being a fantastic board member. So it's my pleasure to introduce Christine Beach, Director of the Kabara Institute for Entrepreneurial Studies at St. Mary's University. Welcome. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. So we like to dig into a little bit of, you know, where you came from and how did you get to uh, this region? Hmm. Okay, so I have a story that's not um, typical, I guess. Um, so I actually started off my career by uh, 20 years in the military. And so there aren't a lot of women you meet who've done 20 years in the Army. So yeah. right there, it can be a conversation stop or starter, depending on who you are, right? Um, so then after I retired from the military, I was actually invited by a um, global corporation to launch a new business line. So I did that and stood up a business and uh, we were very successful and by the five-year mark we had hit the 21 million dollar cap that we wanted to where we spun it back off to the corporation and so that was really cool to do um, and then i um, transitioned out to running a boutique consulting firm and had a variety of clients within the intelligence and defense sectors um, so think washington dc kind of crew um, ended up with my primary client being the fbi and so then I was providing um, a suite of services. I was coaching, training, um, writing curriculum for them. And I did that for many years. And in 2017, um, the opportunity to run the Kabar Institute for St. Mary's University came up and it seemed like a great way to stop living most of my year in a hotel in DC. So my husband had moved to Rochester and I was out in DC half the year. And so this was a great opportunity to get back here. And so I've been doing that now for three and some odd years, almost four years. Yeah, I remember, I'm trying to remember, I think the first time we met, I think you came to Collider um, and we, we sat down and talked and um, definitely as someone who grew up pretty much grooming himself to move into the FBI. I remember you saying that at one point and I was like, oh my gosh, that's so cool. Um, unfortunately, the FBI did not uh, uh, want to take a new uh, college graduate. They told me, hey, go into the real world for 10 years and then, and then come back and, and apply. And it was funny. So they, they said that. And then I took a job out in Salt Lake City, Utah. And then they called me uh, four days later and said, you know, you should come for an interview. And I'm like, I already just moved. Like, this is crazy. I can't, I can't go now. And then, uh, and then right after that, 9-11 happened. And I was like, my life would be totally different <laughs> if I had said yes to that interview, I believe. But uh, uh, wow, that's, no, that's really cool. Your experience is not uncommon. So I, and most of the agents that I trained 
they had a career prior to joining the FBI. And then they go in, um, that's their second career then is in law enforcement. And so they, and they have a wide variety of backgrounds. I had students who had started off life as uh, medical researchers, like your background, right? And then people who had been in economics and on Wall Street and the whole gamut. They're really a great group of people. Yeah, and uh, I just always think, well, that could have been a, a path in my life, but I, I'm, I'm glad that our paths have connected and, and we're here to really play, a, I hope, a, a major role in the community and in the region to help support our entrepreneurs. So um, could you explain a little bit about what you do at Kabara and a little bit about uh, maybe what we do in a, broader in the region? But we'll start with Kabara. Okay, sure. So when I came on to St. Mary's, um, Kabara was focused primarily on creating an entrepreneurial spirit in our undergraduate population. And that was something that um, was working quite well. And so we have an, uh, the university as a whole has a, a major and minor that people can get in entrepreneurship. And Kabara was kind of like the co-curricular piece. And so there were elevator pitch competitions and speaker events on campus, all primarily focused on our student body. And so one of the things I've done since I've been there is kind of change the focus a little bit, retain what we were doing with our students in Winona, but expand it into our graduate school and focus also more on how can we support the community. So engaging more with entrepreneurs who are out there in the community, as well as our students who may go on to an entrepreneurial journey after graduation. And so now that looks like we have uh, programming that is specifically designed for active entrepreneurs in the community, as well as programming for our students on campus. So I've talked to a lot of entrepreneurs, obviously, in the last decade. And um, the one thing I hear consistently from many entrepreneurs is entrepreneurship cannot be taught, which I don't personally believe. I think there's definitely a, a, a basis that can be taught. And I think it's actually a real advantage if you go into a startup knowing that stuff. But how would you respond to that? Because I get it all the time from entrepreneurs like, I would never do that because you have to just get thrown in and, and work and do it and grind and that's how you do it. And um, just curious about what your response would be. So I think when they say that, what they mean is having an innovative mind might be something that you either have or don't have. But I would say that that's not actually true. Um, for example, we teach growth mindset and we explain the difference between having a fixed mindset and a growth mindset. And that is something we're able to convey to people, make them aware of how they think, that whole metacognition, thinking about how you're thinking so that you understand where you're going. But you know, when we talk about teaching entrepreneurship, we're really talking about the, the method that's employed. And so understanding that while in a traditional company, you might um, learn and build and then act. In, in entrepreneurship, it's more like act, learn from what happened and build. It's an iterative process that's kind of unique to entrepreneurship. And you can teach people to pursue that path and to think that way. And that's what we do. And oh, by the way, most entrepreneurs have no background in running an organization or a business. They have a talent and a skill, and they want to bring it to the world. And they're stopped only by their lack of understanding on how to finance their business, how to market their business, how to grow their business, how to, how to create the partnerships and, and protect their intellectual property. And those are all things we can teach and that we do teach. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I definitely think that, you know, as we've done a lot of research in the community and, you know, we've really adjusted, and I think I've said this on a previous podcast, but where the art, what we sort of believe is our top of the funnel for getting entrepreneurs in. It used to be, hey, let's do an entre- entrepreneurship one-on-one course and that will just drive all these people in. But I think there's a lot of other skill sets that need to be developed personally. Um, I think that one of the biggest is leadership. Um, it seems like Sure, these startups and these founders are, are going through it, but they're learning a lot about themselves. And if they can get a solid foundation in with a with a great educational backing to say, okay, I do feel more like a leader. I do understand how to read a balance sheet. I, I even understand why it's important to read a balance sheet. You know, all of those sort of fundamental basics that we might think of as more traditional business education, I think are extremely helpful because um, what we're seeing is if you can give entrepreneurs a, a sort of solid foundation, that actually cuts six months to a year off of the time where they're going to have to be kind of knocked around and, and figure these things out and, and go into the basically just reinventing the wheel over and over and over. So I think there's a there's definitely a great place for education to fit in and as well as you know starting a startup with two individuals is a totally different thing than suddenly you know hiring or or getting a c-suite together for your board and scaling your company and dealing with oh my god things like hr and all of this stuff that's so foreign to these founders who are like well let's just make a decision okay and then they do it so i definitely think not only at the beginning but i think you know, in a, in a well-cultivated, resource-rich ecosystem that there's always these opportunities to go back and learn more. And that's where I think that, um, you know, I see definitely St. Mary's playing a huge role in that, in, 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 in our entrepreneurial ecosystem. Well, thanks. Yeah, and I, I, you know, I noticed when we started um, the Women's Entrepreneur Forum in Rochester, and we started kind of connecting with women who either were starting a business or already had a successful business, um, there were some themes that started to emerge. And some of them were simply the desire to learn from each other. And for others, it's more the desire to find out, you know, the nuts and bolts. Like, so one person wants to really dive deep on, if I'm, only, if I'm the only person in my business, how do I market my business? tell me, you know, and give me the nuts and bolts. Someone else says, you know, I'm doing that okay. It's working for me, but I don't know how to connect with potential partners in the community or collaborate with others. And so we kind of ended up with a um, times where we're doing panels where we can provide that information and have more networking and other times where we're doing workshops, which are deeper dives. Um, And people are at different stages and phases of their business where one thing is going to be super important to them over another. Um, you know, I think about, we had Sarah Miller from White Space come in and talk about marketing. And some of what she said, people were writing furiously while other people are nodding, like, yep, done that. And it worked out just that way, right? So you see it in the reactions in the, in the group, in the audience. Yeah, I think, um, and definitely I wanted to touch on the WE forums for sure, but we'll close the loop on education here. And, and that's what we're finding as well. We're finding a lot of interest in just give me the facts, right? Just give me the, give me the 50,000. Know, what do I need to know now? And I'll take and run with that. 
Um, then there's the other groups, and, and we're exploring right now at Collider, the idea of peer networks. You know, how, how do you get a group of 10 people together in a simil- around a similar topic or around a similar industry, maybe at various stages of the, their, their journey as an entrepreneur, and really just work on helping them help themselves? And I think that's a, a very, very valuable thing as well uh, for our community. Um, okay, so I'm, I'm really interested in the WeForum. You know, that was something that um, I always say the, uh, the, uh, the Jamies of the world, the, the old bald white guys, um, sometimes have, a tr- have trouble. You know, we, we have this network of people. Ob- many times these people look like us. And that's something that we've really tried to be more mindful of as we've created Collider as a nonprofit be more inclusive of everyone. And I remember very early on uh, focusing on women entrepreneurs and saying, well, why aren't, why aren't we doing anything? And I never felt that really I could do it because I thought it had to be more authentic. It had to be more grassroots. And along comes you and you're like, hey, we should do something. And, and I remember you talking with Reddy very early on and I think I was there for a different reason and I just kind of ran into you that day. You're like, hey, we're going to do this thing. And I'm like, yes, I've been waiting for someone to do this. So first of all, thank you so much for getting that started in our community. And it has been a real bright spot over the last, uh, has it been two years or a year and a half? Almost two years, January. Wow. Yeah. And and as far as, um, you know, I'm, constantly monitoring and observing events in the community and it seems to be one of the biggest and one of the most well attended and it's really reaching a segment of our community that hasn't obviously hasn't been served otherwise they probably wouldn't show up so i think that that's a a real testament to the work you you do so for people who may not understand what the we form is could you uh kind of give us an idea of of how the we form works Sure, sure. So the Women's Entrepreneur Forum, or WE Forum, um, is an idea that's kind of taking off across the nation. So we're not unique at all in that, but we're doing one focused on the Rochester area. Um, And so we kind of started, it was, I really wanted to be able to reach and bring education to the women entrepreneurs in the Rochester area, but I didn't really know a lot of them. So I connected with Heather Holmes, who was at Rady at the time, and she knew everybody. So it kind of worked out well. Uh, we partnered up um, with Rady and started offering it. And when we did it at first, the idea was we'll run one and see if people like it and ask them what they want to hear, if they want more. And we had a fabulous turnout. And then by the time we did our third or fourth one, we were having 80 women show up for this event. And we were like, okay, we're on to something here. There's a desire for this. There's a, a, a hunger for it. And so we started formalizing it and creating a plan for the year and doing it. Um, and then last year or earlier this year, the chamber came on board as a partner with us. And uh, you, as you know more better than anyone, we're in conversations to have Collider now be a partner. So it's really kind of exciting because what it's saying to me is that this is something that people see value in. They want to see it continue. Um, and most importantly is that the women seem to find value in it. Uh, so it's been great. We've been able to highlight the many, many wonderful women entrepreneurs in Rochester. And we've also been able to provide them with resources that they might not otherwise have had. So we've done 
um, panels on, like I said, marketing. We've done them on what happens when you start and it doesn't work out the way you thought it should. So how do you navigate those potholes and pivot? Um, we've been able to highlight people who turn their hobbies into businesses. How did they make the leap from, oh, could you do this for me to pay me for it? And all of those challenges that entrepreneurs face. So we've really um, had a fun experience kind of uh, highlighting and, and celebrating the women entrepreneurs in our region. And so as we enter into this next phase, so we had to uh, pivot to an online format. Um, during this whole season of COVID because we couldn't bring everybody together in the same room. And we're learning and iterating along with that because we're finding that a lot of the time slots that we used to use uh, don't work for people who are actually at home with children now. So trying to really figure out how do we address those needs in, and really continue to celebrate their successes at the same time is where it's kind of where the next stage of this is going. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of the, the we form in a nutshell. It's by women for women. And that's, that's what I love. And, you know, as someone who has worked over the last uh, 10 years, it really firmly believes that a lot of this begins at the grassroots level. Um, you know, that's, that's why I knew as soon as I started hearing about it, I was like, yeah, I'm getting as far away from this as I can. I want to be supportive, but it has to start at that grassroots level. And it's really hard to do that top down sort of thing. And I know, uh, you know, Mayo has been somewhat successful doing uh, sort of a version of that within the walls of Mayo, uh, but it, it goes a lot slower. And when you have passionate, dedicated people that really believe in it, that's, that's when these things happen. And that's why I love ecosystem building. I love the fact that, that it doesn't take permission for someone to do something. It's just someone with a great idea saying, let's throw it out there and see what happens and do exactly what you said. You know, we may be faced with COVID, we may be faced with all these challenges, but that's an opportunity to innovate and to reach perhaps even more people that wouldn't have been able to show up at specific hours um, and really serve them. That's definitely what I found many years ago, uh, transitioning from just doing morning coffees to evening events, because I would get a lot of negative comments from people who are taking their kids to school and say, why, why do you discriminate against me? And I'm like, Oh my gosh, don't tell me that. Like, I feel horrible. That's not why I'm trying to do things. And they're like, but you don't understand that not everybody works the same hours you do. And so do an evening event. And so I started doing that. Now I will say that's a very slippery slope and it can be very addictive to do those things. And then you realize that 70 or 80% of your week is taken up basically with volunteer efforts at the grassroots level. So I don't encourage anyone watching this or listening to this to do to go quite that far into it, but definitely uh, latching onto something at the grassroots at that early stage is, is so valuable for a community. And again, thank you for really providing your leadership on that. It's been uh, wonderful to see as it's been growing over the last two years. Thank you. And it's been a lot of fun. So what, what I'm recognizing in this whole journey, kind of how do you uh, best bring higher ed to the table is that there are lots of things, lots of places and spaces where higher ed can play. Um, as a convener for this type of uh, free educational networking type focus, that's one thing. That's what the We Forum really provides. Um, we've been able to connect our students to be interns with entrepreneurs, and that's kind of another way we can connect and, and really share the intellectual resources that we have on the campus. And I would say, you know, 
one thing that we haven't talked about yet, but that is really near and dear to my heart and, and kind of goes back to the educational piece is this idea of a graduate certificate in innovation and entrepreneurship. So the idea there is, you know, there are those who, um, especially in our community, who truly value education and recognize the, the opportunity that it provides. And so we thought we would formalize some of the things that we know are needed. Um, and rather than uh, suggesting to folks that go off and get a master's degree when they probably don't have the time or space for that, um, and <laughs> may not be ready to do that, just offer a four class sequence that really talks about how, how do you design something, whether it's internal innovation or your own business externally, how do you then market it out so that people get the word on it, launch it, and then how do you fund it, and then how do you lead it? And so we take those four tenants and, and break them into four classes. And so that's something that'll start in January and we're super excited about that, that that's coming. Yeah, and definitely from a community, community perspective, we are as well, because I think that there's so many people that need this sort of a, a class really and certificate that I think would really move them farther ahead in, the, in, in what they're doing. So it's a really cool thing and we're, we're definitely looking forward to it. Um, so now, now we got to bring things down a bit because that's, that's the way I do things. You know, we're getting too, we're getting too excited about everything. Now we're going to bring it down a little. So in the last seven months, obviously there's been a lot of, uh, a lot of tough times in the world. Um, but I think you've highlighted a, a number of positives that have happened here in 2020, but is there something else, a real bright spot that you've seen uh, over the last seven or eight months uh, revolving around entrepreneurship that, uh, that you'd want to uh, share with uh, people watching or listening to this? Well, I would say that there are more resources than ever available to entrepreneurs because there's been a forcing function to put everything online. And so things that maybe uh, created a barrier to access before are much more accessible now for an entrepreneur. And I would say that that's a, a positive outcome of this season, this, this whole um, move towards having everything that was, you know, we're not driving to the cities or it's not at the wrong time of day and instead it's available to you online at the time that works for you. So I think that's a very positive thing. The other thing that I've noticed over the years happens every time we have um, a challenge economically is that we have, well, businesses, are challenged in that time, we also end up with a whole new slew of businesses. This whole idea of the reluctant entrepreneur sometimes or innovation that comes out of crisis, whichever focus it takes, the idea that we always end up with lots of new businesses in the course of, of challenges. And that I think we're seeing that even in this time. I'm talking to lots of people who are ready to launch something in the next six months. So I think that's a bright spot. Yeah, I'm, I'm hearing similar things from people. Um, I think one of the things that, at least here in Rochester, uh, you know, with Mayo Clinic being hit a little bit hard and, and unfortunately having to furlough people is people finally said, do you know what? I could do something on the side. I could, you know, suddenly that, that job that was pretty safe and secure for at least a tiny moment was, was a little bit threatened. And that got a lot of people's wheels turning about what they could offer. And you've got, I know when I was working at Mayo, a lot of what, you know, 
the outside world wanted access to was the brains of the people inside a world-class health institution. So uh, a lot of people coming out saying, how could I be a consultant? How, how could I start my own firm and, and really take that niche thing that I've been very, very good at for 25 or 30 years and actually go out and help hundreds of other institutions be successful. So uh, I think that is a real, you know, we talk about, I think a parallel in some ways is, is 2008 and seeing the wealth of things that came out of that very tough time. I think this in many ways is a, is a maybe not economically, but just in terms of our society, a, a tougher time. And I can't wait to see all the stuff that's, that's coming out of um, this downturn. So definitely a, a bright spot for uh, the future here in the next couple of years, as soon as we get that darn vaccine. Um, then, then life will be better. Um, so as we think about the next, say, five or 10 years, um, what, what is your real vision for what our region can bring to bear in terms of entrepreneurship? What would, what would uh, entrepreneurship in the region look like in the next uh, five years? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, <clears throat> no crystal ball here, but I would say that if we're wise, we're gonna to start to leverage the incredible talent in the region. And we haven't really done that as well as we could. Um, you know, there's this whole conversation that happens around the accompanying talent. So someone gets moved to Rochester, Minnesota for the Mayo Clinic, and they bring with them an incredibly talented person who now is here, and if we could just create the system that would allow them to start something great, man, just get out of their way, right? So I think of all the women, particularly that I've met, who um, held these you know, very prestigious and, and intellectually challenging positions in other parts of the world, and then they come here, and they're really not sure what to do with themselves, especially if they weren't in healthcare. And so rather than continue to lose that talent to work in other places, if we can create an entrepreneurial space where they can start to design and grow businesses, man, I, I could just see us having a much more diversified economy that would have all kinds of industries that are starting up and popping up here. And we have the capacity for it, both physically and intellectually and economically. So I, I think that's really where we need to go. Um, you know, I, I think there's a challenge because it's not, um, we don't have the historical background in it yet. And so we're still kind of in the, the growing stage, trying to get people to say, oh, yeah, yes, we should be a place that has this or that, um, that we should be a place where people think about founding their business. So, you know, I'm on that Launch Minnesota board. Um, and that, and so that effort from Deed is really focused on how do we drive more tech startup in the state of Minnesota. And there's a real focus on how do we do that in greater Minnesota. And we should have so much more of it. I mean, there really is no reason we don't. No, I, I think, uh, so it's a beautiful vision. Um, I, I'd like to build on it, if I may, that I think there's, there's how do we put sort of the people that are currently here into a, a safe space where they can feel free to innovate, feel free to try things. At the same time, I think we, obviously speaking to your role in education, we need to plant the seeds for the future. We want to make sure that 
you know, if, if we're focused on, you know, a lot of maybe let's just for hypothetically med tech startups start flourishing in, in Rochester, we want to make sure that we're, you know, working with our educational institutions to supply that demand of, of students into the, into those companies. Because um, I, in, well, wow, it was just January. It feels like it was years ago, but in January I attended the Silicon Slopes conference in Salt Lake city. And one of their biggest things is Utah. One of the biggest imports into Utah is tech talent and they bring you know, people from primarily from the extreme West coast who are tired of living there and they want to come a little bit farther, but they still want to be sort of in a mountainous uh, kind of awesome naturey place like Utah uh, where they can get a lot of skiing done. And I mean, there's just tons of people coming in for these tech jobs, but they're not really filling them because they've never had an initiative to really teach tech in K through 12, even in higher ed, it's never been a huge emphasis. So that's something I definitely believe that our region should also start to focus on is really maybe do get out that crystal ball and think of what are those jobs in the next five or 10 years that we can prepare an entire workforce for uh, because, you know, they're definitely going to be needed. And at the same time, capturing about 5% of those that maybe want to start their own businesses, hopefully it's higher and really getting them the tools they need to succeed. So that's a, uh, that's uh, me building on your vision. <laughs> <laughs> yes, no, I agree with you. And I think, you know, there's, there's definitely a role in higher ed to try to um, ensure that the next generation has got the right education. But one of the things that always strikes me is, you know, the, the statistics would suggest that the, there's going to be a lot of jobs available in 10 years that we can't even imagine right now. So it's hard for us to design an educational program around them which is always my argument for why you should just be study to be innovative and understand how to run a business. And then whatever you do with that, great, right? Because we don't even know what it's going to be. Um, we, have, we do have initiatives in artificial intelligence that are certainly driving towards that kind of an idea that you're going to, um, you're going to use the educational platform in their undergraduate years to get them familiar with how to manage artificial intelligence and design it. Um, so yeah, there's absolutely that. But I think it's going to be it's going to be a fun ride to watch where this goes in the next couple of years. Yeah, and I think we're we're both privileged to have ringside seats for a lot of it. So that's that's the cool part. Um, all right, as we start to get into our closing, I warned you there were some fun questions. So here they come. Um, so my first question is always. Um, what is one thing that people may not know about you? Hmm. Um, so a good well, example is uh, Frank Jaskulki from Medical Alley is a collector of high-end fountain pens, <laughs> which is interesting. <laughs> no judgment, Frank, but interesting. Yeah. So I don't collect anything. Um, I, I guess one thing that a lot of people don't know is I speak multiple languages. So my first language was Italian. I went to boarding school in France. The army taught me German and Russian. I lived overseas for many years. So there you go. There's your fun factoid. Wow, that's uh, a... <laughs> so I've always been envious of people who can, you know, definitely master multiple languages. Um, I can barely master my own. 
but it, it's definitely uh, people say once you pick one up, it's a little bit easier. Is that is that true or that actually is true? Yes. And by the way, um, I don't think you actually master multiple languages uh, unless you're ac actively speaking all of them. It's kind of like saying I'm a runner if you're not actually running right then, right? So um, I. My French went down the tubes when I learned my German, and my German became ch more challenging after I learned Russian, and then I went back to live in Germany after that, and so German won. So that's the one that really is a primary. That's, that's really cool. Um, yeah, I, I never know what to say. You know, someone always tells me this thing they don't know about themselves or that people don't know about them, and I'm just like, it's it's so amazing that you could find these great ecosystem builders that are so talented and, and can do this cool stuff. And you're just, I'm always blown away when people, that's why I asked the question. Um, I guess the, the, the last question um, that I have is who is doing great work right now to support entrepreneurs in our region, uh, but may not be broadly known. And I always say, you can't say me and you can't say Collider. Mm. You know, there, there are um, some people that I met recently, um, and I find it's fascinating because they're under the radar. So uh, Twanda Burke, um, who is a male employee and on her own is um, helping under-resourced and underrepresented entrepreneurs um, and connecting them with all the right resources. Um, you know, she would be an example of someone who's just doing it quietly and nobody knows. Um, and so I've offered to partner with her to have her kind of engage with our reform because I think what she's doing is really valuable. Um, but there are other folks. I mean, I, you know, I think about Tessa and how she supports entrepreneurs, especially within the restaurant industry. And, you know, she's a big promoter of them. I think of Tracy. Downs and all the work that she has done to help folks in the region. So, yeah, I think there's a whole slew of them. Yeah, it's it's amazing how many people uh, do this great work that we've you know sort of I don't know someone decided ecosystem building was a word or a term, mm -hmm. so uh, we went with that. But I think it's what it boils down to is just helpful people that want to see other people succeed, and a lot of that many times comes from the barriers that they personally went through and just have that desire to not, not see that happen again uh, for anyone else. So um, yeah, all great examples. And now I have uh, three people to jot down for filler for the next uh, three, three uh, ecosystem North episodes. So thank you. Um, You're welcome. Yeah. You know, so many people, and, and I don't want to pick on Neela cause I love Neela, but there's everybody always goes to Neela first. And I'm like, yeah, I've talked to her. She was like the third episode. Like I can't, <laughs> it's like she's doing great work i get yeah, it but everybody right. knows who she is <laughs> but you really gave me some of the the more underground people the people that are doing it not for notoriety they don't really care they're just doing it to be helpful and that's that's really cool um so the last the last of the last questions is uh how can people get in contact and uh find you online or or in person well <laughs> um, and you just yeah. happen to have, yes, you know, yes, exactly. uh, your promotional uh, material right behind you. Right. So if you just go to smn.edu smn slash Gabara, 
um, the, the Kabara website has all the um, resources and then how to get a hold of me. So, you know, I would welcome anybody who wants to reach out um, either to have a conversation or figure out how we can support you or you can support us and our students. I'd be happy to do that. Awesome. And we'll make sure to put a link to WeForm as well in, in the uh, show notes and the comments section. So again, Christine, thank you so much for all that you do here uh, in the region on behalf of entrepreneurs, on behalf of students, because um, I, you know, I'm a lifelong student. I can speak for students. Um, and uh, thank you for being a great member of our board as well. So it's been a, it's been a privilege over the last year to, to interact with you and to get to get to really kind of bottle your enthusiasm and your excitement for entrepreneurs and, and, use, and use that to our advantage really at Collider. So thank you so much for all the great work that, that you've done. Thank you, Jamie, and thanks for doing this. Awesome, thank you. Thank you so much to Christine for taking the time to share her story and thanks for what you do for our region. Have a question or comment on the podcast? Please email us at hello at collider.mn and include Ecosystem North on the subject line. Please help us by subscribing to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher. Do you want to see the video version of this podcast? The easiest way to find it is to go to our online storytelling platform, Rochester Rising, at www.rochesterrising.org, and the newest episode should be right there on the page. Ecosystem North is a production of Collider, a nonprofit based in Rochester, Minnesota. Collider supports our local entrepreneurs and small businesses with innovative events, education, space, and storytelling to help foster an inclusive, diverse, and healthy entrepreneurial ecosystem. Until next time, help an entrepreneur out.